back to another episode of the Ricky Henderson of Podcast, the greatest of all podcasts, the GOAP. I'm your host, Alex Espinoza, here on episode 53, uh, Barry Zito's original jersey number. I'm here with John Shea, a longtime writer for the San Francisco Chronicle. He was also on episode 29 last year, so check it out, ask him some more questions. But John, how's it going, man? Thank you so much. Oh, good. Thank you. We're exhaling after the deadline and we got Giants A's coming up and uh, it's uh, these last two months. It's uh, you you thought one team was going to go somewhere and the other wasn't. But now it looks like maybe both teams won't go anywhere. Yeah, I I, I definitely want to get into that. I mean, I want to talk about the A's and the Giants. I want to talk about your new book uh, called Long Shot building homes, dreams and baseball teams, uh, which came out earlier this year. I thought it was a fantastic read. Uh, but but yeah, I kind of want to start off by talking about the, the trade deadline because, you know, the A's traded away Frankie Montas and Lou Trevino to the Yankees. Uh, you know, they held on to Ramon. They held on to Sean Murphy. So we're kind of see, uh, feeling, uh, did you think that the A's were going to do more? Were you, uh, I mean, what did you just think about them just making that one big move at the, at the deadline? Yeah. I, I guess that was somewhat expected. I mean, it's yeah. tough to give up Sean Murphy. I mean, he's under team control and he's the heart of the team. Almost, he's like the best right? player. Yeah. He was a rookie well, last week and now he's he's the veteran. And yeah. you, you just can't keep giving away everybody. You have to yeah. have 26 guys on the roster. Yeah. But you know Montas was going to go and good for yeah. him. He's going into a good situation. And, and you got to credit the front office. They always put these players in good situations, don't they? I mean, yeah, yeah. What's Manaya doing? Oh my gosh, in San Diego and yeah, Chapman's um, having a great time in Toronto. Olsen's at home in, in, Atlanta. in Atlanta, back home. Um, yeah. you know, Bassett. Yeah. They all go to winning situations, it seems, and mm-hmm. you know, they they don't go to uh, you know, markets where there's not much of an upgrade over Oakland. So yeah. you know, good for them, but also. Yeah these higher level teams maybe tend to have better prospects and the Yankees have a de- decent, you know, system. The Mets have a decent system and to get all these prospects back, not, not the 25th best guy and, you know, but the fifth best guy, the, yeah, yeah. the 10th best guy, you know, and, you know, three or four guys in their top 20. So that's not bad. It's not a top three or four guy, mm-hmm. but it's a serviceable person who's going to help. And David force keeps getting pitching and, you know, say what you want about the A's. They're they're not awful on the mound. They're they're 22nd, 23rd in ERA and yeah. whip. And you know, they do well, but you know, this is more reinforcements. Their lineup needs total readjustments, but that's yeah. maybe coming at a further <laughs> at a at a date down the road. Yeah. And, and also Lou Trevino too. I mean, he, you know, he's from New Jersey. I, I think he's from New Jersey or uh, or or Pennsylvania, but he's kind of like close by there, so he kind of gets to go back home. That's nice of him. Um, but what do you he think? Need, about- he needed to change the scenery more than yeah, anybody on the team, didn't he? I think so. I mean, I, I just, I mean, the A's gave him a really long leash. I mean, I, I think they were just, they just, because 2018, he was lights out. He was amazing his rookie right. year. And then he would show those flashes. Uh, even within an inning, he would show, like, oh, wow, that, that pitch is unhittable. But then, you know, he'd get drilled for, you know, throw a meatball right down the plate and get drilled. So, it was just like kind of nerve wracking. Like yesterday was the first game without him. And it was kind of like, Oh, Lou Trevino is not running out there. It's kind of like a, a sense of relief almost, you know, but, uh, um, and, and yeah, he, he would do well in the fourth or fifth inning, the, the trial balloon. Okay. Let's try him in the eighth or ninth. And then that didn't work. Okay. Let's give him a softer yeah. landing place. You know, he seemed to do better in those situations, but 
Yeah. It just wasn't working. And relievers are tricky. They're great one year, not so great the next. Yeah. And he could easily rebound next season. Absolutely. Yeah. What did you think about the haul they got? I mean, they went pretty pitcher heavy. They, they got three prospects uh, who are pitching prospects and they're already, yeah, like you said, I mean, Ken Waldachuk, uh, he's checking in at number three in their organization. Right. Luis Medina is number seven. JP Sears is number 19. And then the second baseman, they got uh, Cooper Bowman. He's ranking 29 according to MLB.com on their prospects. So, and it sounds like Waldachuk and JP Sears are already knocking on the door of the big yeah. leagues and Luis Medina is throwing one Oh three. I mean, it seems like they, they got a pretty decent haul, right, for for Frankie, and considering he's only under control for another year and a half. Yeah, it's right? funny. While the check goes from the Yankees' fifth best to the A's' third best. So what yeah. does that tell you about the systems? You know, hey, uh -huh. yeah. good for Oakland. They upgraded. And he's yeah. a strikeout guy. He's a future starter, maybe a rotation guy who could, you know, spend a few years in, in Oakland. Um, he definitely needs to cut down on his walks. Uh, there's just too many. Um, you know, you can't walk three, four guys every nine innings. And, uh, yeah, Medina and, and Sears, you know, uh, pitching depth and, and then the one, then the one hitter, the infielder, but, um, I guess it's as good as yeah. you can get, <laughs> but you look at the hall that, um, uh, Luis Castillo got, you know, with, with Seattle and Cincinnati and that big trade. And you think, well, I, I mean, Seattle is desperate. Yeah, and they're yeah. going for it. Um, you know, the Yankees, we all know they're always going for it. Uh, but the market wasn't quite as good for, for Montas uh, yeah. as it was for Luis Castillo. Um, similar service time. But Montas has the shoulder issue. And even though David Force said that wasn't a talking point, I mean, it had to be in. I mean, yeah, it happened a month ago. Yeah, I mean, it just happened. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah, Waldachuk, I, I feel like um, just from what I've, I mean, obviously I don't know anything about him. I just heard about him about a couple of weeks ago, but, or a week ago since the trade, but uh, I mean, six, four lefty, I guess he has decent yeah. stuff. It sounds like he could be a rotation guy, maybe next, as soon as next year, if he has a good spring. Um, and also he's a St. Mary's guy. I grew up in Moraga, so I didn't. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And uh, also I didn't realize Corbin Burns actually went there, the reigning National League Cy Young winner. I had no idea he was a Gale. And Tony Gonsolin, too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, St. Mary's kind of an underrated program for yeah. supplying the major leagues with with all this talent. But were, were you surprised Loriano didn't get moved? I, I figured because he is maybe closer to free agency than Murphy, he would be a good candidate. Yeah, I thought I thought him I, I, I'm sure they took a lot of offers, but. Yeah. Yeah. I was surprised they didn't, they didn't move him. Actually, I don't know if I'm, I mean, they got to hold on to somebody, like you said, cause they don't have anybody else in their outfield really. Like, I mean, Seth Brown's all right, but yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's, and he's probably not that expensive. I, I wonder when he's going to actually hit free agency. I don't know how much years he has, how much time he has left, but um, yeah, I guess, I guess I was a little bit surprised. Yeah. I mean, but he's like right in their wheelhouse. He's only making $2.4 million this year for him. So, <laughs> and then and he's, he's not having his greatest season. And yeah. And he's, and he's under control saw a much for, better version of Ramon. Yeah. Yeah. And he's still under control for a couple more years. So maybe it's kind of the same thing with Murphy. It's like, ah, maybe we can still wait and maybe drive up his value a little bit more, you know? Hey, is Bob um, Melvin the happiest manager in the big leagues right now? I, I think so. I, I was thinking that too. Once I saw the Juan Soto trade, that was my first thought. I was like, oh man, Bob must be so. I mean, he went from from this situation to that where it's like, 
they have endless pockets all of a sudden, you know, it's, and this it was, was supposed to be his final season in Oakland, but now he's got maybe the most dynamic team in baseball with Soto joining there. It's not all they got. They, they got you know, like 33% of their lineup is new, but yeah, Soto, Josh Bell's a know, hell of a player. Yeah. Josh I mean, Bell. Yeah. And, yeah. um, Brandon Drury has 20 homers. I mean, Padres <laughs> are a must watch team. I mean, you just have to follow that team every night now uh, because Soto is just so fun to watch. His, his first game, he got a huge ovation in San Diego, which yeah. has never won a World Series, by the way. They've been to a couple. Pochi yeah. um, had one, and then Dick Williams had one back in 84. But um, with, with Soto, all of a sudden, you know, they're, they're World Series candidates and legitimate ones at that. Yeah. Uh, it's not just the Dodgers or the Braves or the Mets or, or whatever. you got to count the Padres as a realistic, you know, with their rotation and they got a little deeper in the bullpen, but their lineup is suddenly maybe not Dodger like, but certainly they can slug with them. Yeah. And it's, I mean, they added Josh Hader. I mean, <laughs> and it's pretty amazing. The pitching, like, I think, I feel like the pitching that they've added in the past few years kind of gets thrown in the background too. But I mean, you know, adding guys like Manaya, you Darvish, you know, Clevenger, all, all these, I mean, these guys are studs and it's, I don't know how they keep on having this capital to keep bringing these guys back. It's pretty well, wild. J- JP, yeah. uh, um, AJ Preller has has made a lot of moves over the years, and a lot of them have not worked. Yeah. I mean, he's won a couple of off seasons, but that doesn't get you anywhere. <laughs> yeah. But this time, man, it's like, oh my god, you get Soto. It's the biggest trade in years, maybe decades at the deadline. Um, we'll see. Yeah. But this dude has, you know, three playoff runs in him with the Padres. He's not a free agent. Until after 24, and the kid's 23 years old. It's it's wild. Yeah, he batted second in his first game. He walked, and one grand slam later, the game is over in the first inning. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's what's crazy. He's only 23. He looks to me like he's 30 years old already. Right. I can't believe that dude is 23. It's wild. The confidence and the mindset and the intelligence. Uh, he, he's got it all. I mean, it's kind of like know, Miguel Cabrera, tool talent. Yeah. You know, he's he, he's Barry Bonds. But the Giants didn't get Bond until you know his late twenties when he was a free agent. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, that's what's. I mean, yeah, he's just so because he could do this for another you know fifteen years as far as we know. I mean, it's wild. And athletes are getting stronger. Like, I I also wanted to talk about the Giants too because I saw a lot of tweets the past couple of days. Saw a lot of Giants fans complaining. Oh no, we're becoming the A's two <laughs> I don't know. Do you feel like there's any truth to that? I mean. Obviously, their their payroll is it's so so. I was looking there; they're the fifth most valuable franchise. They're worth three point five billion, but they have the thirteenth biggest payroll at about one hundred fifty seven million. Do you feel like they need to get a, into that top five spending stratosphere to compete with? I mean, especially now with the the Padres got you know all these stars, you know. Well, they need to. They they can't they can't have a payroll this low with that revenue. And they're building up a lot A over there to have their new ballpark village, which we see in Denver, which we see in Atlanta, which we see yeah. in St. Louis and Boston and all these cities, you know, a ton of revenue, which the A's are trying to do there out at the terminal. But it, it just just doesn't add up. You, know, you, yeah. you They traded uh, Ruff. They traded Casale. They didn't trade Radon. Or or Jock, yeah, it doesn't make or, any or sense. Or Jock, yeah, J- yeah, Jock has a concussion and he hasn't hit a home run since June. But um, I wasn't surprised there. But with Radon, that was kind of a stunner. I mean, 
you could have gotten an A's like deal, three or four prospects that are going to help you. Well, he's going to walk after the season. Yeah. He has an opt out clause and his agent is Scott Boris. He's not going to stick around <laughs> the same amount of money he signed for yeah. last off season. It, he's just not going to do it. He's probably in line for like a nine figure deal, right? He's probably going to get like maybe four years, a hundred million somewhere in that neighborhood. Right. Something like that. You think? Right. Yeah, right. Yeah, right. Yeah. I mean, he's, He's having a fantastic season. He's a strikeout king. Um, and right before the deadline, he, he threw seven scoreless and punched out double figures. So, uh, and he's a lefty I too. A, I mean, <laughs> I have a feeling yeah. That, yeah. that the Giants are so streaky. You know, they'll win seven to nine, they'll lose seven to nine. So I don't think Farhan Zaidi was all in on dealing Radon like the A's were with Montas. We knew in yeah. February and March that Montas was going to be gone at the, yeah. at the deadline. But with Radon, uh, the Giants never knew who they were, and they still don't know who they are. They're a sub-500 team, but a couple of months ago, they were 10 games over. They were right in it. And every day, they've had two big losses since since the deadline. And uh, yeah. But anyway, it's it, 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 it wasn't a great deadline for Farhan Zaidi because yeah. uh, they could have gotten more. They got rid of two older guys and Kinsali and Ruff who are in their mid thirties. Okay. And they got some prospects and JD Davis and uh, you know, Zapuki who could, who could yeah. help them this season. But overall um, it wasn't the haul that I think a lot of giant fans expected and they're kind of hard on the team right now. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm, I'm on social media for 95.7. I see all the Giants fans. They, they are not, they're not happy right now with Farhan at all. Or just the general. I mean, it's only social media, but from what I've heard, you know, what yeah, I've seen. Well, yeah. Fo- yeah. Folks on social media, you know, they, they buy tickets and they drink beer and eat hot dogs. <laughs> they park, yeah. so yeah. <laughs> they are part of the cash cow the Giants yeah. generate. Um, and uh, it's not a very exciting team. It's not yeah. a team that is a must-watch team right now. They're they're flawed. They they have base running mistakes. They have defensive miscues. Um, their their offense is so inconsistent. They don't have that Soto in there. Here's a stat for you: um, If they got Soto, they would have been who they've been ever since they came to San Francisco. Since they came to San Francisco, the names they've had from Willie Mays to Jack Clark to Will Clark, to Barry Bonds, and to Buster Posey. This is only the sixth season in their San Francisco history that none of those guys suited up. So they, they always, always had, had a star. Yeah, they they've always, always had, had a, a guy in the middle of the lineup, yeah. not just to lead, but to make everyone better, to, to, uh, you know, to worry the other team. Now there's not that guy in the middle of the lineup that any pitcher is really concerned about. Yeah. And even Posey last year, he was very good. Everybody was good with 107 wins. Yeah. But it's pretty unbelievable. They've always had that guy. Now they don't have that guy. And the fan base said, you know, get Soto, give up Harrison, give up Luciano. Um, obviously, they weren't giving up as much as the Padres were willing to give up. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I, I saw Farhan's quotes. He said, you know, we, we talked to them, but they went with another package. It, it didn't sound like the Giants were ever really that close um, w- with them. I, I think they put in the, the ob- obligatory offer, but it doesn't sound like anything really materialized there. But, I mean, yeah, like you said with Farhan, you know, they traded away 
like the and also even the injured players that they hadn't seen yet, Matt Boyd and uh, Trevor Rosenthal. I feel like you know those moves they didn't make the team. He didn't make the team better in twenty two. If anything, he made them worse. And that's that's what that's why that's why it perplexed me that he kept Rodon. But like it's like he kind of chipped away at the sides. It's like he he kind of went halfway in the middle. It's kind of weird. It's like you either got to go all in or you got to go all out and. He kind of got, I feel like they're just kind of stuck in the middle right now. You know, I mean, they're, they're five and a half back with the third wild card, nine back of San Diego, 20 and a half back of LA. So it looks like their only chance is probably the third wild card at this point. And, and, and these moves didn't make you better in 22. So I, that's what it kind of shocked me, you know? Yeah. It and makes sense to it, me. you know, if they were looking for the same haul that the A's got for Montas and especially, you know, the Seattle got for Castillo, then it was probably somewhat misguided because those guys are still under team control next year. Yeah. And Radon wouldn't be. So it's a two month rental. Yeah. So you're not going to, you know, the, the Giants got Chris Bryant last year, a two month rental. Um, so they didn't give up the farm. They didn't give up all their top guys, but I think they were maybe looking for more than um, teams were willing to give up for Radon. I mean, who wouldn't want a Radon in, in, in the rotation in the final two months, but it was stunning that there wasn't that offer that uh, kind of wowed Zaidi and said, okay, you know, we're done. But on the other hand, you know, ownership is forcing, uh, putting pressure on them. Fans are putting pressure on them to win. Now there's always been that feeling to win now. So yeah, it, it's a bad place to be because you can't step back like yeah. the A's do every few years and rebuild this this one a lot more so than any other we've seen, unfortunately for A's fans. But uh, it, it's um, it, it's a tough place to be in, right in the middle. Where are, are we selling? Are we buying? And you never get that feeling that they're doing either. Are they yeah. doing both? Are they doing one? Are they doing the other? And this is four straight um, trade deadlines for Farhan. And um, you know the first one with with they kept Bumgarner, they kept Will Smith, uh, they got rid of three relievers, and then 2020 was kind of a wash, a mulligan, it was the pandemic, uh, a two-month season, and then last year, on their way to 107, they picked up Chris Bryant, so this was, um, Giants really had a crossroads, and and uh, Farhan was on, was on the spot, so yeah. um, I, I don't think any one who sends out those grades gave him an A or a B, um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. C at best. But yeah, I don't think the team is better now. And I'm not sure if the team is going to be better next year as a result of this. We'll see. Yeah. But the A's are always uh, planning and scoping and strategizing because they always know what they're doing. It's always about next year. It's it's it, Last year was about... Mm-hmm. Last year was great. Uh, yeah. Bean and uh, Forrest, they picked up uh, a, yeah, a nice got Marte, yeah, yeah, Chafin and stuff. They yeah, just, yeah. They just uh, melted down in the final two months, unfortunately. But they were a very good team in Bob Melvin's final year. They were contending into August for sure. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. I, I feel like the A's, like, I'm cautiously optimistic, like you said, about their pitching for next year because, you know, we talked about the rotation, but also their bullpen too. I mean, these guys that they pulled out this year have been incredible. Most of these guys didn't have any experience. Uh, Like, you know, Sam Mole, Domingo Acevedo, Zach Jackson, Danny Jimenez. And then AJ Puck was always trying to find his way, but he kind of yeah. turned it around. But but those yeah. like that's like the core of your bullpen. Those are five solid guys you can rely on who are going to be here next year. So I feel like the A's are 
I feel like there's some cautious optimism for 2023, especially obviously their, their lineup needs a lot of help, but um, yeah, I feel like their pitching is probably going to keep them in some games. I, I think we're already seeing it this year, you know, that they've been playing really well the last month or so ever since July. So they, I think they've honestly been the more entertaining team than the giants the, the past five weeks or so, you know? Well, well yeah. guess, guess who had the better July? The A's were 14 and 12. Yeah. The giants were 11 and 17. Yeah. So, I mean, <laughs> It's pretty, I mean, yeah, it's pretty wild how it's, how it's changed. I mean, and also with the A's too, the expectations are so low. It's like anytime they get a win, it's like, oh, that was great. Like last night was a great win for them. They, they beat Otani, uh, Caprillion kind of outdueled them. And it's yeah. like, wow, like the A's are, they're, they're not, they're not laying down. That's for sure. You know? Yeah. Um, so I, I want to get into your book too. Uh, again, it's called uh, uh, Long Shot Building Homes, dreams, and baseball teams. Highly recommended for any Bay Area sports fan. Not even just A's fans, because it touches so many different areas of the Bay Area sports. And um, and I'm just curious, how, how long did that take you to write? Like, how how many people did you interview? When did this whole process start? Because it seems like it's a great undertaking. You know. Well, it probably took a couple of years. And oh wow. Oh. Yeah. Um, which is you know is far it? for the course. Uh, uh, I I can't imagine people say. I asked how long did that take? They said, oh, six months, nine months. I said, really? <laughs> yeah, you're like, you write a book so fast. Yeah. Um, yeah. But maybe they don't interview a you know, hundred different people like like I did for the mm-hmm. book. And, um, you know, probably 50 sessions with Steve Schott. So it's basically wow. the inner workings of an ownership group yeah. that has never really been told. Um, I, I never found any book that had first person account by a baseball owner since like Bill Vec, Branch yeah. Rickey. I mean, that's decades and decades. Yeah, those and guys decades. are legends. Yeah, those guys are. Those yeah, guys yeah. are legends. They're marketing people and baseball people, but they did have stake in ownership. Steve Schott, um, you know, he's he's a local guy from Santa Clara. He, he played ball at Bellarmine. He's a very good pitcher mm-hmm. at both Bellarmine and Santa Clara. Um, as a D1 pitcher, uh, he was in a division with USC, uh, UCLA, Cal, and Stanford, uh, along with their conference, St. Mary's USF. Yeah, he was and, good. Yeah, he was a good player, huh? Yeah. He yeah, was he was a very pitcher, good yeah. pitcher. Um, yeah. He went to the NCAA as a, as a junior, and he was a pro on that team. He was uh, San Jose Mercury uh, uh, pitcher and player of the year his senior year in high school. So yeah, he's a, he's a very good athlete, but so it's a different, it's a different uh, take. You know, a lot, you see a lot of owners maybe who didn't play ball and who inherited their money and, yeah. and Steve Schott was neither. He played ball and made his own money because he had 500 bucks to his name when he got married and yeah. 40,000 homes later in and around the Silicon Valley, he made his fortune and bought a baseball team and conducted it like a business. He's not a guy who, um, was as popular as the, you know, Mr. Haas. That's like an impossible act to follow, right? They were beloved. Everybody loved them, right? I mean, the first week he showed up, he said, okay, everyone, every department (laughs) give me a budget. I thought that was, I thought that was shocking. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And there are, they, everyone said, what do you mean budget? There are no budgets. What do you mean there are no budgets? Like in the, I was thinking like, this was, this is the early nineties, not like the seventies or something. It's like, you know, (laughs) like things were kind of together by then. It's kind of crazy. You would think that, uh, you know, when you're running like a hundred million dollar, uh, tens of millions of dollars business, you know, there would be budgets involved. So I, I thought that was shocking. Like, 
just the massive shift in culture it, it seems like he he brought mm. right because he seems like he's very uh buttoned down no nonsense just kind of you know right. just cut and dry and then it seemed like Haas was just kind of oh do whatever you guys want free willy-nilly let's let's you know do whatever you know hey we need some money okay here's a check hey we need some money okay here's a check yeah completely different thing it's not it's not the business prototype yeah you know today's era and uh so the home builder came in and he kind of uh you know pushed for uh restrictions and guidelines and uh, Billy Bean was just coming up and Steve Schott encouraged Sandy Alderson, hey, if he's that good, promote him. So yeah, Billy became the GM under Steve Schott's watch and brought in Paul DePodesta, who, by the way, wrote a, an amazing forward to this book. Yeah, and that was this great. Is, this is the Paul DePodesta that, that uh, not, doesn't not like Jonah Hill. Yeah. in the headlines. <laughs> yeah, you know, not Jonah it, Hill. <laughs> in, yeah, in, in, yeah. In the movie, he didn't want his name attached. So mm-hmm. Jonah Hill was Peter Brand. So Paul DePodesta was was Peter Brand, but nobody yeah. knew that it was Paul DePodesta. Yeah. But, you know, Paul went on to work for the Dodgers and the Mets and other teams, and now he's um, running an NFL team. But he agreed to do this forward, and his theme in, in the forward was that Steve Schott gave Billy Bean and I, um, you know, the guidelines from which to uh, build a roster, construct a roster. And, uh, you know, from from that box, uh, you know, Paul and Billy had to A, be creative and B, act like owners. So um, thus Moneyball. I mean, yeah. from, from Steve Schott's uh, budgets, which were implemented for the first time, <laughs> yeah. uh, came, came Moneyball. So, um, the guidelines and restrictions and budgets and and uh, and payroll forced Paul and Billy to act like maybe no other front office ever did, in terms of empowering themselves to to maybe draw up the lineup and and uh, pre-plan the bullpen for that day. And now every team does it, right? Maybe mm-hmm. minus Dusty Baker, maybe minus I mean even even Dusty and Buck Showalter. They still listen to all their guys, maybe more than they did during their the previous uh, ten years as, as as managers. But but now now you see every pretty much every other team doing what the A's did in the in the late '90s. And the two uh, first years were really rough, and then they uh-huh. went to the playoffs four years. Overall, they contended for six straight years. So it's uh, it, it's a situation where. Um, a lot developed in that time. A lot uh, of the game was changed. And, you know, Billy Bean and Paul DePodesta and, you know, Miguel Tejada and all the managers from La Russa to Howe to Maka, they're all quoted in this book. They're all part of the book. Yeah. And, um, yeah, it's, it's, there's a lot of stories behind the scenes that really haven't come out until now. And one of them includes Joe Leica, who was this close to buying the team from Steve Schott. And Bud Seeley gave it to Lou Wolf and John Fisher, and look where the team is now. And there's a Joe Lake chapter in there, in which Joe explains that Bud Seeley uh, kind of yanked it from him. He was this close. Yeah, that, he had a, an agreement with Steve Shaw uh, to buy the team for 180 million. And the lesson learned uh, for Lake Up was, well, shoot, I don't know these people. They don't know me. So if I'm ever going to own a team, I'm going to have to know who these people are and befriend them and hobnob with them and network with them. So he bought in to the Boston Celtics, yeah. his hometown team, 
And when the Warriors came up in 2010, instead of the A's for 180 million, you bought the Warriors for 450 million, and now they're worth about six billion. Yeah, it's and, I saw I saw a graphic recently: they're the fourth most valuable franchise in America now, which is wild to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it's amazing all those uh, lean years in the 90s and early 2000s, and A's fans are saying, "Wait a minute, we could have had Joe Lake up." And Lakeup says I would have had a stadium by now. I would have paid for all the infrastructure. I, I, I was going to ask you about that. Do you think he really would have paid three or four million out of his pocket or at least found the investment, like, you know, found the funding? Do you think, feel like he would have been able to, to do that if that's what it, it would have cost? Yeah, for two yeah. reasons. It would have hurried up the project, A, yeah. and B, you saw what he did with the with Chase Arena. Yeah, I mean, he, they, they expedited that thing. I'm, they, they got that for thing For California done. to get yeah. that done that yeah. quickly? It was pretty amazing. And, yeah. that, and, and they shifted thing. two sites. I mean, they they went to Pier yeah. 31, 32, and then they went over there. I mean, it's like they, it's amazing. Like they did all of that in seven years. And here the A's are 22 years later doing the same thing, you know? Yeah. And 17 years ago, yeah. Joe Lake, I thought he had a deal to, to buy the A's. And yeah, he said he would have, you, you know, he's, he, he said he was kind of the guy who introduced Don Fisher uh, to Howard Terminal. Because they used yeah. to go to lunch, their buddies. They used yeah, to go to lunch Fisher all the used time. to poo-poo the idea, right? He said he didn't. Yeah, yeah and then yeah. softened to it later. But now, Bill Lakeup says he would have to revisit the Coliseum with the Raiders and Warriors gone. You know, yeah. it's centrally located. You got the freeways. You got the airport. You got BART. None of that stuff is out near Howard Terminal. Um, you know, Dave Cavill and uh, John Fisher say, well, you know, we have to keep up with the Joneses. The Giants have their waterside facility we have to have one that's maybe better you know we can't compete at the coliseum site very debatable i mean who are you going to listen to um john fisher who doesn't know much about construction or steve shot who knows everything about construction and says the coliseum site is better joe lakeup who obviously knows about construction after chase center and he is he would be open to the coliseum site um you know, and, and territorial rights are addressed in the book. And yeah, I thought uh, that was I thought that was pretty sure. I mean, I I, I thought a, a couple of things like the the fact that the Raiders screwed over the A's. It seems like uh, the city of Oakland and and the Raiders that the way that that whole wheel that just the timing of everything it went down. It's like what was it? It was like the I think in, in January '95 it was like the shot had the agreement, and then in June. Oakland goes around his back and brings the Raiders. And in November, he finally closes. But by then, it's like, oh, man. And he said if, if he knew the Raiders were coming to town, he wouldn't even have bought the team. So I thought that was that was kind of different, too. That could have changed everything. You know? Yeah, pretty powerful stuff. And it, they went to him. You know, they recruited him. You know, he didn't say, hey, I'm, I want the A's. They came to him because he had a history of, A, having a lot of money, and, B, being a sports guy. He was yeah. uh, the lead person when the – uh, when Oakland tried to get an expansion NFL team after the Raiders moved to LA. Yeah, I, I saw and that. He attended were... owner meetings. And, yeah. um, you know, Carmen yeah. Policy was, was, was in charge of the finance committee and helped oversee uh, expansion. And he wasn't wanting to have a second team. He was the Barlow's right-hand man. Yeah. He didn't want a second team in the Bay Area, but uh, so that wasn't going to happen. Uh, they gave it an honest, honest effort. But the whole territorial rights, Jerry Reinsdorf in the book, the White Sox owner, who like was a good friend of Bud Seeley and was sort of, you know, everything Bud wanted, uh, Reinsdorf wanted in terms of uh, the CBAs and everything back in the day and the whole 
you know, strike mm -hmm. of 94 and 95, which also preceded the uh, shot ownership. Um, so Reinsdorf says in the book that he disagrees with Selig then and Manfred now, that there are territorial rights that are realistic, that the A should uh, have every right to go to San Jose or Santa Clara. Shot wanted to go to Santa Clara. Wolf wanted to go to San Jose. And uh, it, it's like Ignacio de la Fuente, who um, you know, was on the city council and big wig in Oakland you know, politics over the years, just says the, the Coliseum is the, the only place to go. He said, we uh, looked at seven different sites and Howard Terminal was the worst possible site back then. And you know, he's convinced that uh, current ownership you know, pursued this site knowing it would fail. So th yeah. there's a lot of stuff in the book that really uh, hasn't come out, but it's it's kind of nice to present all these all these yeah. facts that uh, that that maybe leave people scratching their head. You know, the greatest what if in yeah. Bay Area sports history, right? Yeah, and another thing that really makes me scratch my head too um, was the fact that Shot said, like in the late '90s. He was willing to commit fifty million dollars to refer, like re renovating the stadium, and in 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 hopes that the city and county would match. So that, that's like a, a hundred million dollars in the late nineties to the Coliseum, which I would assume would completely transform it. Um, probably because I look down at Dodger Stadium and I see like you know it's pretty much built around the same time as the a, as the Coliseum, but it doesn't have such a bad rap. Uh, I think they've been able to you know kind of expand it and make it more modern. Um, and I'm just thinking like. Why couldn't the A's have a Dodger Stadium North kind of thing? Obviously, you know, it's the same same kind of era. Maybe if they refurbished it in the 90s, that's what they would be looking at. You still have the view of the Oakland Hills. Yep. But it really just comes down to Mount Davis just kind of screwed up everything, it sounds like, you know. And it's maybe just... a better comp is Anaheim Stadium. Because yeah, they, yeah, they, yeah. they both opened, you know, the Coliseum and Anaheim Stadium right around the same time. Yeah. And um, look at Anaheim and look at Oakland right now. Yeah. Yeah. Anaheim refurbished, uh, rebuilt, reconstructed, and Schott was willing to do that, but, you know, he pulled everything back once they started, you know, jackhammering out there in center field, and, you know, the thing kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger, <laughs> yeah. and the Ace had to open in Las Vegas at Cashman Field, this little tiny stadium minor league outfit, and it's a major league. I team. remember that as a kid. I was like, why are they playing in Las Vegas? Oh, <laughs> yeah, Cashman God. Field. I was like, what is that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So there yeah. are a lot of forces against the new ownership coming in, and everybody loved the Haas family. Nobody liked the new ownership. And uh, they got rid of La Russa and good for Tony because he went to St. Louis and won a couple of titles. And that was in the Hall of Fame. They got rid of Lon Simmons. And you know, the backstory of that isn't what actually came out at the time shot fires Simmons. I mean, this was a popular broadcaster who yeah, was, a legend. Yeah, yeah. was yeah, a legendary duo, you know, one of the best ever um, in any market, uh, Bill King and Lon Simmons. So, so the, it seemed the like there were some communication issues with shot, right? I don't know. It just it seemed like a, maybe like even the call he had with the Raiders, I think he said Eddie Alvarez. He was like, Oh yeah, they, yeah. they, they, they wanted to see, but really they were getting his blessing and he didn't realize it kind of a thing. Right. And well, Lon Simmons actually came out. Uh, I, I read in a Chronicle story uh, before that season saying, you know, I would like to push back a little bit. I don't need to do 162. And that's exactly what Steve shot was was hoping for yeah maybe Home you know working or... some new guys but yeah. um bill would be all 162 and lon would you know be part-time and that's the suggestion that he wanted ed alvarez to tell lon but ed alvarez 
uh, as the book says, left a voicemail for Lon saying, we're moving in a new direction, which means, you know, you're out of here. And Lon took it, I'm fired. And all the stories said, shot fired uh, Simmons. But in reality, shot wanted Lon to just maybe step back. He still wanted yeah, him in the yeah. broadcast booth, but Ed Alvarez kind of screwed it up. Uh, the, yeah, there's a total miscommunication. So, so eventually, uh, Steve Schott hires, you know, our, our good friend, uh, Sam Spear, who, um, uh, you know, is in the baseball circuit, uh, horse racing. You, you heard him on the radio all the time. Unfortunately, you know, we lost Sam during the process of, uh, putting this project together. I dedicated the book to Sam Spear and he was kind of influential in, um, the genesis of this book, getting me and Steve together on the same page and uh, working toward uh, the completion. And um, he would have been real proud uh, how it turned out, but uh, Steve hired uh, Sam to be like his uh, wingman, his right-hand man, a guy who could help him get through these press conferences and PR uh, moves and, yeah. and kind of help his image. And that's what Sam did. Because I remember Steve that you, you mentioned like, um, his first press conference, he said something he shouldn't have said. He's like, whoa, I, I, I'm not prepared for this. You know, he didn't really, he wasn't really ready for that, that aspect of it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. He, he kind of bad mouthed Terry Steinbach. Uh, why is he making that much money for yeah, that yeah, that's batting right. average? And he grew yeah. up in the Bay area when there's no major league baseball. He was a big fan of uh, the seals, the Pacific coast league seals all the way through 57 until the Giants showed up in 58. Yeah. So his team was the Yankees. And Yogi Berra was the catcher, and Yogi Berra won all these rings and was a great hitter, yeah. and a great ball player. And uh, yeah, he apologized to Terry Steinbach. He was trying to make a point um, about uh, salaries. And, you know, he was coming into a new situation, and there, he, he never went to uh, uh, you know, baseball ownership 101. Yeah, or media uh, training or anything like that, right? And he yeah. put up a new house or a new hotel or a new building. There's never a press conference with guys asking, you know, why are there that many floors and uh, how come there was, uh, you know, the bathroom so small and uh, <laughs> yeah. for this, and, yeah. you know, he just put it up and handed a press release to the newspapers. If they ran something they would, but in baseball, you have to be accountable and you have to be the front guy. I mean, we have not heard John Fisher once say anything about anyone or, um, yeah, but you know, shot tried to be somewhat accountable and, his co-owner, Ken Hoffman, was like Fisher, never said anything. So <clears throat> it was it was Shot who was the front guy as, as the managing general partner, even though it was a 50-50 split. He was the guy who went to the owners' meetings and made the decisions and and went through the budgets and set the payroll. And uh, he 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 didn't get a whole lot of positive pub, obviously, you know, because he followed the Haas family and all these forces against them with the Coliseum and right after the strike and the farm system wasn't great. Who's the new manager and why are you trying to trade McGuire and uh, Steinbach? So, you know, that era was going away, that championship era with LaRusa and all. And they're trying to, uh, at the old, you know, he's an old pitcher and wanted new guys. He, you know, he said, every Sunday I went to the game and Van Poppel was out there getting ripped. Yeah. So why we got, why do we got Van Poppel? And, Sandy explained to him, well, he's got a minor league contract. He's out of options. So it, it, it was a kind of a rude awakening. So what do you mean he's out of options? <laughs> yeah. So eventually they traded him and yeah. got some new prospects and blood. And they turned the corner. And obviously with Giambi and Tejada and the big three uh, of the 
pitching staff and and went to the postseason four times, went to game five of the division series four times and lost them every time. And you're thinking, God, a couple of those that they got by in this, these are World Series teams, 01. And, yeah, 01 and 02, those teams were amazing. Those oh my teams gosh, were so good. Yeah. yeah. Those teams yeah, were with so or good. without Giambi. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so when this was happening in real time, was there the perception that oh, Steve Schott is a cheap owner? What was like the 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 real time perception in the late nineties, you know, early two thousands when when he was? Because I was born in eighty seven, I wasn't really fully aware of what was happening. But uh, what was kind of the perception while he was the owner from ninety five to 05, Like while it was yeah, happening, I mean, he'll, he'll he'll be the first one to say that um, you know he was classified as a cheapskate. Yeah. But he tried to justify it by saying he he'll also say who who's the what's the biggest contract in a franchise a, history? Well, it's Eric Chavez in 04, and I'm the I'm the one who okayed you know 66 million over six years, and the A's under this ownership haven't done anything. He took a couple of he took a couple of he took a couple of little sneaky digs at Fisher there for sure. I, I noticed that. I noticed that that made the book. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's it's got some life to it. It's got a little juice, and uh, yeah. you know he's wondering why this ownership doesn't spend more. I mean, he yeah. spent more, relatively speaking, uh-huh. than this ownership group. Uh, and that was eighteen years ago. <laughs> you know, he wonders why you know they want to build out there. You know, he's he's a supreme uh, guy in terms of home building and construction, and um, he says that you know there's too there's too many obstacles out at Howard Terminal. It just doesn't yeah. make any sense to him. But yeah, there there were a lot of obstacles for him when he came in, and you know, all the media at the time, and I was there. It was real easy to compare Haas and Schott. You know, Haas the free spender. Uh-huh. Um, he had the highest payroll one year, but Dave Feldman, who like we all know, and um, he's the A's official scorekeeper. He works in. It's like a historian at this point, right? Yeah, yeah. And he's yeah. like a great A's historian. As he says in the book, yeah, the A's were number one in payroll one year, but the second place team was like 500,000 or 750,000 below. And you had like five or six teams within a million or two of the top spot. Now the number one is like way up there, yeah. 100 million, 150 million more than you know, a lot best. of teams on the yeah. lower end. So, yeah. That was also right before, um, you know, local networks, uh, regional networks started popping up in New York and L.A. and Chicago. And and suddenly there was a secondary uh, stream of money that teams were generating that Oakland wasn't. So that was another reason they suddenly were long shots, were underdogs. Um, yeah. Name of the title, long shots. So, uh, yeah. Um, Anyway, so that there's that there's a whole lot, and he admits his mistakes. He admits that things should have been better, you know, from Steinbach to Lon Simmons to the things he said to the things that happened, and the hiring of Sam Spear was a result of that. But in the end, Steve Schott has the highest winning percentage of any A's owner in history, going back to Philadelphia and Kansas City. Interesting. So it's a different story. And, yeah. Uh, it was a pleasure when I uh, tell him the story. Yeah, I mean, because I think it's funny because I feel like 
you know, that era was a very successful era, but it's almost kind of that ownership group is kind of forgotten. Like people obviously talk about the Hosses, people talk about the Fishers, but yeah, like Steve Shaw, that the Steve Shaw and Ken Hoffman kind of gets lost in the mix a lot of the time. So I thought it was really interesting. Um, and I really, uh, part four of the book was, was really interesting for me, the, the Moneyball years, you know, just really diving into that, um, kind of behind the scenes seemed like there was, there's always kind of some infighting at the end of the year because, you know, in 2001, uh, it was, uh, I think it was Art Howe and Billy Bean got into it about Billy Bean just said, no, you're going to put Johnny Damon in center field or something or T long. I, I forget which one. I think he wanted Johnny Damon. And then, and then in 2002, uh, Billy Bean and Steve shot got into it after they lost to the twins. So it, it was interesting. And everybody hated that, that movie Moneyball. It sounds like Art Howe called it a disgrace. Um, I, I thought that was really interesting stuff. I mean, especially those years, it seemed like there was tension because they knew they had good, they had, they had something good, but they just couldn't get past that first round, you know? Yeah. yeah. And, and Paul DePodesta in his forward looks back and said, you know, we didn't know in real time at the time that um, this would be an era that people would look back on fondly and say, you know, that's the genesis of what baseball is all about. Now we were just looking at every inning, every game, every week, to try to win with what we had and try to think outside the box and bring in Scott Hatterberg. And, yeah. and Paul says that uh, he, he wrote in his forward, I, I can just imagine that conversation Billy going to see Scott because yeah, we, we lost, we lost the Giambi, but we got this guy Hatterberg who's filling in for him <laughs> and, and to have shot sign off on it. So you got to really be all in on what we're thinking. And yeah. uh, there was a lot of conflict. Steve Schott did not um, buy in on um, a lot of the things Billy Bean did. He really liked Howell. He really liked Maka. And he yeah. kind of felt for them because Billy was kind of overpowering. This is how we're going to do it. Yeah. And this isn't just old school managing anymore. We're going to have a say in the lineup and, and how, you know, the, the rotation and the bullpen is going to be used. And uh, Art Howell fought back. Maka fought back fought back and while while shot kind of felt for them he didn't say billy you got to change your ways because they were winning you know yeah. how do you argue with what billy bean and paul deep are yeah. doing if winning if you win 100 games a year yeah. any team in baseball they're winning as much as the yankees and they're getting fifty thousand at the ballpark when the yankees come in by the way because they yeah. open up mount davis they didn't have those tarps under this uh shot era because they often sold tickets up there. I mean, attendance actually was better a couple of years into his ownership than it was, you know, at the end of the Haas family ownership. And the minor league system obviously was better um, because all, all the homegrown talent is what won those, um, you know, won the day in those playoff runs. So, um, yeah, it was it was a different time. And uh, there was one time you mentioned in the, the, the five game loss to Minnesota in the division series. Yeah. Scott is it happens every year. What's going on? He was he was ticked off. He went down to the clubhouse, called a meeting for the next day with the coaches and the manager and the front office, and uh, was was upset and say yeah. why why is this happening? And, and, and kind of laid into everybody. And Billy Bean got in his face and said, "Don't you come down here and and uh, you know knock my guys, knock my manager, knock yeah. my coaches." And um, Steve got up and left. But there was a, there was a lot of friction in the room, a lot of uh, a lot of yelling. And uh, so I, I talked to everybody in the room from from 
Powell, who was the manager for the final time, to Maka, the incoming manager, to Ron Washington, who was a coach, uh, to Paul DePodesta, to Billy Bean, to Steve Schott. Um, all these people were in the room and they all explained, they all gave their colorful version. Yeah. <laughs> of, uh, this outburst by the owner and the, the, the GM. And uh, it, the fact is, you know, Steve was like a fan. He wanted to win. He got upset when they lost. But so did everybody else in the room. I mean, they were getting tired of these five-game losses in the division yeah. series. What aren't we doing? Yeah. I mean, what what can we do better? You know, there's some base running problems and, um, you know, some pitching issues in the end. And, Jeter you know, flip. They just didn't yeah. get it. But, <laughs> yeah. but uh, they would be up two games to love or they'd be up two to one. And, and uh but that was heartbreaking for me as a kid, man. Those were rough. Those were rough oh. when I was 13, 14 year old A's fan. That was rough for me, man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and I also thought like a big thing of that was they, they came across some sort of analytics software in the late nineties that they tried to buy and, and like own it, but it kind of got at, other teams had it. So it was too late, but I was like, Oh, right. so they were on the cutting edge of this uh, analytics thing. You know, now, now it's so pervasive. It's everywhere, but they were really at the forefront of that you know, in the, in the mid yeah, they, they, right? they yeah. had this, they, they, they got this into the software yeah. and they presented it to Steve Schott and said, Hey, you know, we'd, we'd like to implement this. And, he, and Schott just said, yeah, you know, right. this is another example of him saying, and they called me cheap state. He wanted <laughs> to buy all the software. He just wanted yeah. to purchase it. So Billy and Paul went to the, uh, the company and said, Hey, can we buy it? And at that time, a couple of other teams were in on it and I think they were making more money, um, you know, just servicing all these other teams instead of just giving it all to Oakland. But that's how determined the A's were to get like exclusive control of this program. And now all teams have access to everything. Yeah. But at the time, um, you know, with technology entering the game and uh, computer software entering the game and uh, statistics that we've never seen entering the game, the A's were on the we're at the forefront of that and um, sort of created what, what we see in the game today. But yeah, Shot wanted to buy it and uh, was turned down. You know, would have been quite costly. Mm -hmm. But uh, so they were able to use it for a few more years and then get new software. And uh, I mean, now you know about every player in A ball and double A and triple A, <laughs> not just the opponents. Uh, uh, you know, who they, and so the scouting is so much different because of technology and because of real time access to what other players around baseball are doing. Yeah. Yeah. And, and um, one more thing before we get into a quick little Bay bridge series um, uh, preview, but I, I just thought it was interesting how Bud Selig really kind of stifled a lot of stuff for the A's. I mean, um, I mean, first of all, the Joe Lacob deal, and then it supposedly Reggie Jackson came in after that with another $25 million, $205 million offer. But Seelig's like, no, I'm going to stay with Lou Wolf, my guy, uh, his fraternity brother at Wisconsin. And then he also blocked Steve Schott's move to Santa Clara. Like, he was fully he was fully on board. He's trying to build a stadium at Levi Stadium where it is now. And and Steve Schott was all about that. And that got shut down by Bud Seelig, too, for territorial rights. So it's kind of interesting how Bud Seelig's fingerprints are – he's a big reason why they're still stuck in the Coliseum. It sounds like, you know? Yeah. So yeah, it goes back to, to Joe Lake. Um, yeah. Lake saying that the league yanked the team from me. Uh, yeah. Why did he yank the team from me? Well, uh, he knew Lou Wolf. Lou Wolf had been hired as a consultant under the shot ownership requested by 
um, Bud Selig and why Lou Wolf? Well, Lou Wolf and Bud Selig were in the same fraternity at the University, University of Wisconsin. So I said, okay, so it's Lou Wolf and John Fisher. So Lou Wolf figuring, okay, he's my frat bro. You know, he's going to take care of us. So if we want to move to San Jose, you know, we could do it. Well, no. So, <laughs> yeah. so Bud Selig blocked any move to Santa Clara, any move to San Jose because of territorial rights. He yeah. bought into what the Giants were saying, that we own the territory, which is kind of fishy. And, and you know, Jerry Reinstorf said that shouldn't even happen. Um, you know, Bud is wrong and Rob Manfred is wrong. Joe Lincoln calls it a screw job, yeah. <laughs> Joe Lincoln called it a screw job. You're absolutely yeah. right in, yeah, yeah. in this chapter. So, um, yeah, uh, Ace fans are not big fans of <laughs> because yeah. – um, you know, Schott wanted to move to Santa Clara, where the 49ers are now. And that was next because of territorial rights. Lou Wolf, the frat bro, wanted to move to San Jose. And that was next because of territorial rights. And um, it could have gone to Lake Up, the team, instead it went to work. So, but Selig's fingerprints are all over this issue with yeah. uh, the A's not having a ballpark. And I would contend now that they made a major mistake by not allowing the A's to move to the South Bay. Um, whether it was Santa Clara under shot or San Jose under Wolf. And now that property isn't necessarily there, but you wonder if Fisher strikes out at Howard Terminal, if Major League Baseball and the A's would reconsider A, the Coliseum, and B, San Jose somewhere. I mean, maybe the property isn't uh, projected exactly right now down there, but you know, there might be room elsewhere in the South Bay. So, uh, I mean, that's where the big money is. That's where the bigger companies are. Yeah. And um, it, it, just the whole Las Vegas thing just uh, it, it is, I think, a, a big hoax, a big ploy. And yeah, I don't think they'll ever move yeah. there. Yeah. And um, at least these parallel paths, bunch of nonsense. It's, it's what, it's what uh, you do in ownership 101. It's what Reinsdorf, we spoke about him, did to get a new stadium in Chicago, he threatened to move to Tampa Bay. Everyone threatened to move to Tampa Bay. To the Tampa Bay, yeah. <laughs> the so, um, and then finally, Tampa Bay gets a gets a gets a team, but they still don't have a stadium. Just yeah. like the A's, the two worst in the majors. But uh, I mean, it, it's just a it's just a big problem. And yeah. um, the Coliseum, yeah, it's not viable. But whose fault is that? You know, it's the A's and it's Major League Baseball. Because Anaheim is just as old. It could have been that. Um, It's the city council's fault. Everybody's fault. But the city council and the mayor have done more um, for A's ownership than they ever have in the history of these relations. So In this current, in the past couple of years, you mean, right? In this Howard General negotiation? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they've given more and they've conceded more to the A's than than any other, you know, former... uh, political group in Oakland history. So so the A's have no excuse um, if they were went to Vegas. That means they were not interested all along. Yeah. I mean, uh, the, the city of Oakland has budged uh, tremendously to make this happen. And they okayed $13 billion project. They okayed, okayed a billion dollar uh, stadium. They've okayed it and all these votes along the way, they've checked off on it. So uh, I imagine they will when this, uh, this last approval is upcoming, uh, you know, before the end of the year. Um, yeah. And when that happens, 
if Fisher says no, then it's on him. He was never interested. You know, it was just a bunch of baloney and he picked Howard Terminal knowing it would fail. So, um, and then it's time to get new ownership because at that time, you know, I mean, A's fans are protesting right now. They're not going out there. Um, the product has been better. Uh, they, they've been better than the Giants in the last month um, without anything to do with ownership because ownership has done everything it could to alienate the A's fan and uh, ask him or her not to come out to the Coliseum to support the team. There are plenty of A's fans out there. I consider them, you know, the best fans in the majors because of all they've gone through and all they've overcome and endured and all the nonsense with ownership over the years. And, you know, they're to a large degree still faithful. Yeah. I mean, yeah, for me, it's just when, when you, when you, uh, yeah, when you shared that Lake of story, I just couldn't think like, Oh my gosh, like what could have been? And, just the whole way it went down. I mean, I, I heard Lakeup say, you know, I was waiting for a call on the golf course and then yeah. it went four days and they literally, he was, it sounded like Selig was shopping Fisher's uh, term sheet around and say, Hey, who can match this? And then, yeah. and they found Fisher with the money. So here we are. Um, <laughs> but anyways, I, I you, you probably got to get out of here pretty soon, I assume, but uh, um Let's do a couple minutes of just kind of previewing uh, what, what you're expecting this weekend. I, I haven't seen any probable pitchers for the A's and Giants this weekend, but um, yeah, I mean, what do you, I mean, it seems like it's like the A's are kind of on this trajectory up and the Giants are kind of on this trajectory down right now, heading into this weekend, you know? Yeah. It, it's, it's amazing how I wouldn't be surprised if the A's run all over them over these two days and how bizarre is it to get no <laughs> Friday game. I mean, Friday, yes. that's the night that you're yeah. supposed to draw fans, right? That's yeah. okay. The end of the week, let's go to a ball game. Yeah, so bizarre. They yeah. have a bye on Friday. Yeah, that's the two-game series doesn't that. make any sense for these Bay Bridge series for me. No. Yeah. So, I think it should be three at each park. Yeah, I, I feel like. Yeah. And so, it, I mean, they're both going in the same direction. They're both, you know, right? right. Uh, they're, they're both sub-500 teams. A's have nothing to lose. So it wouldn't be surprised if they just, you know, sweep, you know, pull off a two-game sweep because uh, <laughs> they've been playing free and easy. The Giants have mm -hmm. been very tight. Um, they're making a lot of mistakes. Uh, they haven't won since the deadline. Um, so, yeah, well, in the clubhouse, they're happy that uh, Radon and Peterson are still intact. Um, they realize that Soto didn't arrive and, Offensive help didn't necessarily show up, and uh, the pitching staff isn't uh, much better. Uh, so it's not a better team than it was before yeah. the deadline, as you mentioned. But um, so what are they playing for? Are, are they playing for themselves? Are they playing to win? I mean, they're saying the right things. Arhan Zaidi, Gabe Kapler, the pitching staff, the hitters, they're saying, yeah, we're in it. But are you in it? I mean, yeah. <laughs> falling back every single day. And meanwhile, the A's know they're not in. So they're free and easy. They have nothing to lose and everything to gain. It's, you know, let's finish strong. Let's put up big numbers. Um, you know, some of us are in arbitration. We'll get paid a little bit more. And uh, you don't see many free agents around anymore. Yeah. Uh, they <laughs> most of the big names, or if not all the big names. So it's, it's, a, it's totally a different dynamic than we've seen. Because even last year at this time, both teams seem to be headed to the postseason. And so many times in their history, and I go back, you know, 1971, mm -hmm. both made it to the LCS. And um, obviously the, the, the earthquake of 89. And in the early 2000s, both teams were very good simultaneously. Um, 
all the way up until last year, same yeah. thing. And then BAs fell apart in the end and then had the fire sale and the Giants kept everybody. Buster Posey is not in the clubhouse and that's a huge hole that they maybe haven't filled in the middle of their lineup. And um, Kevin Cosman is gone yeah. and they replaced him with Radone. That's been a good swap, but they didn't make any swap for Buster Posey. They didn't bring in any, any big hitter before the season. And then the Brandons dropped the off. I mean, both Crawford and Belt both dropped off this year pretty yeah. big, right? Yeah. I mean, they, right? they had yeah. career years well into their 30s. And that goes, that goes for all of them, from Posey to the two Brandons. Even Longoria had a good year. Yeah. But now, you know, father time and age and everything, it, it's so prevalent and uh, the fact that they're, they're as much time on the injured list as they are on the field, you know, says a lot about the roster construction and the fact that Crawford is out and they don't have a shortstop and they have to trade for, you know, minor leaguer with the Cubs just to throw somebody out there, a warm body, tells you all you need to know about their depth and their farm system. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, I feel like, and it's, it's wild. I mean, so they're about to play in a couple hours here. Uh, the A's are about to finish up in Anaheim and then the Giants are trying to avoid their second consecutive four game sweep against the Dodgers since the break, which is wild. Um, yeah. So it just doesn't seem, I wonder if, uh, I, I don't know, like, do you, do you feel like the whole Kapler, like the way that they micromanage and everything it's, it's good when you're winning, but it's also really bad when you're losing kind of a thing. Like, do you feel like the players are maybe, um, is it harder to buy into that, you know, if, if you're not winning? <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, um, yeah. Kepler lasted two years in Philadelphia. He contended all the way up until the final couple of months. And then, you know, the teams kind of fell apart. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it's it, you, you give him a mulligan after 107 wins only so far. But now we're in the second half with only two months to go. And it's not just Kepler. It's not on him as much as it's on the players. I mean, yeah. no player. I don't think he can go up or down that lineup or the bullpen or the rotation and say, I'm having a better year than I did last year. I don't think anyone can say that. I yeah. mean, the two all-stars were the two guys that got in the offseason, Radon and uh, Jock. Yeah. So so what does that say? Well, nobody ever, nobody else kind of matched their um the 2022 numbers that from OPS to ERA or anything. Um, they've all had down years from last year. So I don't know how much complaining they can do saying, well, you're, you know, you're, you're hitting for me after two at bats. Well, I just went over two with a couple of K's. Now, if I got a couple of hits and Jack Peterson, by the way, buys into this totally. I mean, he's yeah. all aboard. You know, he, he told me at the all-star break, it, he's at the point in his career where he realizes the giants put him in the best position to succeed, meaning virtually only against right-handed batters. And if yeah. a lefty comes in in the fifth inning, he's out of there, you know, the line change. So he's fine with that. Yeah. Um, he's very outspoken about that. You don't hear a whole lot of others, you know, jumping on that bandwagon because they all want yeah. numbers. They all want to get paid. They all want service time. They all want, you know, the back of their baseball card to be more full than just platoon, platoon, platoon. Yeah. But as Jock Peterson told me at the all-star break, he said, it's pretty cool to have a platoon player start an all-star game. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I love what he was saying that. You just yeah. called yourself a platoon player. 
that's what I am. Yeah. Okay. I remember once I asked Tony Phillips when he was playing with the A's, I went up to him and said, Hey, Tony, I'm doing a story on platoon players. And he said, Don't you cuss at me? <laughs> yeah, it was like a swear word. Yeah. So it's, it's a little different. It's changed. Now yeah, it's changed. Yeah. Oh, man. Okay. Well, well, thank you so much, John. I really, I could talk talk about baseball forever with you, but thank you so much. I really, really appreciate it. Uh, I just want to make sure everybody sees this on YouTube one more time. It's called Long Shot, Building Homes, Dreams, and Baseball Teams. Um, make sure to go check it out. Get it on Amazon. It's a great book. Thank you so much, John. I really, really appreciate your time. Yeah, a lot of fun, Alex. Thanks a lot.